Welcome to L&D Disrupt, the podcast dedicated to helping you overcome workplace challenges and prepare for the future of work today. I'm your host, Nelson Sivalingam, and I'll be speaking with the movers, shakers, and path breakers in L&D who are reshaping their organizations right now. Join us each week as we delve into the highs and lows of work in the industry to get to the real nitty-gritty stuff that you actually care about. Welcome to another episode of L&D Disrupt Live. And if you've not joined us before, the show is really about your questions. So please do leave them in the chat and throughout the show. Uh, yeah, L&D Disrupt is the podcast powered by HowNow. My name is Gary. I'm the content marketing manager here at HowNow. I'm once again joined by our CEO and co-founder, Nelson Sibelingen. And then today we have two wonderful returning guests joining us for the episode today, uh, Ross Stevenson and Lavinia Mahidintu. Um, Ross is the founder of Still These Thoughts, which is essentially bringing you all of Ross's great insights uh, from the world of L&D to podcasts, newsletters, social media videos, and pretty much everything. And the best way to keep up is to follow Ross on LinkedIn. And the same with Lavinia, make sure you're following on LinkedIn. Lavinia is the co-founder of Offbeat, which is uh, probably in my favorite Sunday newsletter that comes to my inbox, um, full of great insights, but also uh, Offbeat is home to a content library and new fellowship program that's coming out. So lots of interesting uh, stuff happening there. Um, yeah, welcome back to the show. Hello, happy to be here. Happy to see so many people and from, from my home country as well. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. Thank you for uh, for having us back. Must have something right the first time around. Didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, cool. Let's get straight into, I guess, sort of the the elephant in the room maybe is that um, often these conversations about skills, people kind of pick either really far-fetched things that are a bit out there um, or people have these conversations about skills and then they don't really ever build on them and people never learn them. So I had a look before the session today at some articles from four years ago and a lot of the things we'll, we'll even cover today, like problem solving and save uh like understanding the right problems curation soft skills these were all things that people were talking about sort of four years ago so uh ross maybe let's start with you sort of an honest assessment of sort of where we are where we're going and sort of the skills that might need be needed together oh pressure that's a big question that's deep <laughs> <laughs> um okay let me break that apart in terms of skills that i think you hit the nail on the head there right i know we had a kind of pre of a preamble chat before but um a, a lot of the skills people know and people who read my work will know I'm, I'm saying the same thing over and over again in terms of the skills because a lot of that hasn't changed in my opinion i think what it is is actually people taking action on that and saying right we've got the data you know we see the research it's the same thing that's coming out again and again but how do i actually implement this into you know my daily flow my yearly flow how do i build those skills and i suppose kind of help yourselves be future proof kind of your career in the L&D field and kind of future-proof learning and performance functions in general. And in terms of where the industry is going, I mean, I'm, go I'm going to be honest, I haven't got a bloody clue, um, to be honest. So, <laughs> so when I look around half the time and see what's going on, this, I'll, I'll tell you my hope, I tell you my wish in terms of where it would be going is more that I think as a profession, you know, we continue to recognise the the benefits of it technology but don't fear it don't you know ai is not coming from our jobs if you look at some of the ai tools that i've been using for example that they are most certainly not coming for our jobs at the moment um there's always going to be a human element with that piece with tech but i think it's going back to some stuff i might have said previously so apologies if i had 
Um, it's really focusing on how do you blend that kind of tech with your human experiences. And I think, look, that's where, you know, L&D functions or performance functions, as I call it, will continue to evolve is that how can they provide that value? How can they use all of that great stuff that is out there and continue to really lean on those human skills? Because a lot of the work that we do in this industry is really about, you know, us as humans and developing as people and how do we help people do that and um, and leverage more of that and look at technology as that enhancing piece to do that. And I look, I think being, you know, really honest, I think a lot of people will see this here too, is that we are in an industry where there is a lot of tech, right? There's a lot of tech available out there. So there seems to be a, a bit of tech to do everything. So there's lots of opportunity to, um, to do more of that. Like I said, that's where... I think it's headed. Um, I, I wouldn't want to say any definitives because I'm sure someone will record this and catch me out five years from now and go, <laughs> you said this and it didn't happen. Um, so I, I won't fall into that trap. But yeah, that's, those are my initial thoughts. Yeah. Uh, Lavinia, Nelson, any sort of thoughts on what Ross have just said and this sort of idea of um, you know saying we're going to learn skills and never really implementing them or, or learning them? Yeah, I think what the pandemic did was actually... A- force us to go into some of the skills that maybe we only dreamed about before it. Like we de- we're definitely more comfortable right now with facilitating digitally, which uh, prior to that, if I would have asked someone to use Miro or whatever tools, they would have been scared a bit, also scared of the reaction of, of the people. So I think we're more comfortable with that. But just like Ross just said, I, I can only give my wishes for, for the future. I, I think we're still in a point in L&D where the world and the organization dictates a lot what skills matter in L&D. And it's less about what skills we would like to, to gain as well. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious because if you're, if you're looking at, at the, how, where the world is going right now with the recession and, and everything, I'm really curious to see if we will double down a bit more on internal knowledge. So we will be forced to learn more about social learning, networking a bit better inside the organization to get to know our people better and connect them to, to each other. That's one thing. It might happen if budgets get caught, uh, they get cut, and we can't afford to to bring in external providers. But uh, otherwise, yeah, just like Ross said, uh, there there are some wishful things from from me. But I will leave those thoughts for for later on. Yeah. Nelson, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess kind of building on that, like Ross said, we were talking about this just before we we came on live, and it was. I think it's Bill Gates who said we we tend to overestimate what happens in the long term and underestimate what happens in the short term. And I think when you look at it from that lens, it's probably not a surprise why we've seen the same skills appear in future skills for the last uh, four years. But I think what that also brings attention to is the question of, okay, so why are these skills not being picked up by uh, people who are L&D professionals? And I think there's probably two things we can look at there. One is those skills probably seem, without context, they seem quite disconnected from my current moment of need. So if in my organization, all they're asking me to do or expect me to do is is deliver and track compliance, when you're telling me skills around data um, and technology, it seems like a disconnect between what my day-to-day job is and what you're telling me I need to be learning. And therefore, there isn't a motivation 
um, to upskill and, and acquire those skills because it's, it's so disconnected from my day to day. And so it seems very kind of hypothetical. And so it doesn't get the engagement it needs. But like Lavinia was touching on it, I think L&D right now have more pressure on them than ever before. And the moment they realize actually that we're not just throwing these future skills out there and they fully understand why these skills are important. And secondly, how to actually implement those skills like Ross said. And I think a great example of this is the number of HR and L&D teams we speak to where they throw around Agile um, as, as a buzzword, they get on a top level what Agile is, but they've not implemented Agile workflows, A, because they don't really understand why they would um, change to an Agile workflow, although they know it's what everyone's saying they should do. And also the second thing is how. So how do you apply Agile workflows and mindset to what you do on a day-to-day basis? And I think those two things make it difficult um, for, for people to be able to pick up those skills and actually apply them. Yeah, I think you really led us nicely into the next point, Nelson. This is this idea of when people talk about skills, not to get bogged down in the buzzword or over obsessed with the buzzword. Like you said, I need this because I've heard everyone talk about it. But actually, like for a good example would be stakeholder management. Say I need to get better at stakeholder management. Well, how many stakeholders do you have, right? How often are you managing them? How often do you have to have these conversations? So what are some of the ways people can actually really work out what like what they're trying to do rather than just the other way around saying, here's the skill I need to learn, I'll do that. Actually, what does my role entail? How can I go and find something that makes sense in the context? Uh, maybe Lavinia, if you want to, or maybe I put you on the spot there. Yeah, uh, no, no worries. I, I was just uh, uh, gathering my thoughts. I think it's a lot about uh, self-awareness, I guess. Self-awareness first, uh, we have to be a bit selfish at times about our careers as well as LNDs. Like, where do you want to get? Do you want to be in LND in, in the next couple of years? Or are you thinking about exploring other industries as well? You know, and being aware about that will also help you move towards specific skills. And on the other hand, I think also awareness about your organization, where it is right now and where it's going. I think it's also very, I, I wouldn't just go and grab all the buzzwords out there, right? It, in my opinion, Agile is, is one of them. And uh, I've heard others um, in, in the past two years, but yeah, really double down on what you need as a learning professional, what you like, where you want to go, and trying to understand where the organization is going when building an LND team or when thinking about uh, how what, what other LND programs you can uh, you can initiate. Yeah. Absolutely. I think as well, um, it's something we'll come to later, but it's that idea of understanding the real context of your business, you know, like what's the five-year plan maybe for your business? What are the problems actually need to be solved? But um, Ross, do you have any sort of thoughts on what Lavinia said there and this idea of applying context a little bit more to, to what you do and the skills you Yeah, need? I think Lavinia said it perfectly, um, to be honest, and encompass pretty much all of it. So I have really too much to add on that apart from, you know, it's just context is king in everything, right? And I think with most things that we do, you know, even I do this when I'm writing about the industry in general and the skills, it's, it's all, it is all about that context. So, you know, where you are today, 
what moment you are in your career as Lavinia said you know where do you want to go do you want to still be in this industry do you want to change careers you know career changing is is very big um in the kind of moment we are in the, the you know the time we are now and it's really just evaluating you know uh, what do you need that there's people out there who are going to be um instructional designers there's people out there who just want to be facilitators it's not going to be not everyone's going to want to be doing the kind of I kind of call it like um myself kind of the mad scientist doing multiple different things and bringing on different skills and doing not everyone wants that you want to specialize so yeah just as Livania said it's about that context being king and you know looking at where you are today and as much as possible just trying to look at I think the main thing for me is not just talking about LND, but it's when you think about your career overall and careers, um, hopefully will be for a long time, not a, not a short time. And with that, it's actually looking at how can you navigate that future field, no matter what you do, if it's LND and beyond, and really look at the skills that are going to help you navigate those fields um, and make sure that you can do well in a variety of opportunities. So that's probably less of a LND thing, more just a careers in general. You know, how can you make sure that you are future-proofing yourself? So allowing yourself to be open up to new opportunities. But um, yeah, that's what I, I have to I think say. this is also quite meta, right? I think the the kind of thinking process that goes behind what to, how do LND decide what to upskill on? is the same thinking that should go in through an L&D person's head when they're deciding what the workforce should upskill on, right? So it's quite meta and how they decide it for themselves is also how they should be deciding for the rest of the workforce. And I think that fundamentally comes back to, I think, being problem focused, right? To, to avoid um, buzzwords and what's trending and all of that, it's to have a clear North Star and when that North Star is the problem at hand, and so whether it's yourself as an L&D professional or an employee in the workforce, what is the problem they're trying to solve and what knowledge, skills and mindset can help them solve that problem? And so, for example, uh, contextualizing this for an L&D professional, if you are trying to drive more impact or measurable impact um, through what you're doing as an L&D function, it might be knowing how to measure impact in the first place, right? So the skills you will acquire is aligned to the problem that you're trying to solve. And that's the motivation that gets you out of bed to go upskill yourself uh, and get that skill is because you know you need that skill to solve this problem. And if you don't have it, you're going to struggle. And so I think that kind of problem focus can help. I think another part of it, Nelson, is always this idea that you don't actually need to know every skill. That's one of these things that often gets overlooked in these articles. Um, you know, like coming from a marketing background, I'll never be a designer, but then I see job descriptions that want a copywriter, a designer, social person, shoemakers about shoes, exactly. So I guess that's part of it right now. So like you don't need to learn every skill. It's about understanding which ones you can leverage and which ones really you do need to build for yourself, right? Yeah, exactly that. And I think the, with the point you said, Gary, and this is, more of a macro shift we're seeing is this kind of move away from static job functions um, to essentially we are all personal brands, right? We, we don't want to um, hire someone to fill a content marketing role. We want Gary, right? And, and that's the difference between a static job function and a personal brand. And I think we'll start to see more of this where it's not necessarily a marketeer needs to have skills ABC, 
actually, the more skills and the more diverse skills you have, yeah, the more valuable you're going to be for that particular business. And, and so I think that will drive, and we're seeing this in the way careers are no longer, you know, 15-year careers at the same organization. There, there's a lot of uh, project-based work. There's a lot of people shifting to freelance work. And even internally, if you're part of the same company. There's a lot of internal mobility that's happening. And I think that stems from this uh, shift from, from kind of a static job function to skills. But I don't know, Lavinia Ross, if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I was just thinking on, on building uh, on what you just said. With first, there are so many skills that are cross-functional, if you think about it. Like even the skills that I would love l and uh, to have more, like systems thinking, understanding your organization, understanding the systems you operate in. It's not only an L&D thing. It, it can be, I don't know, business development thing, a marketing thing. So you can choose and you can look at some of the skills that will... Um, yeah, will help you no matter where you want to go. And to, to what you just said, uh, Nelson, it's like uh, I've read so much about this shift from jobs to skills. And I was just thinking that maybe seeing those job posts, you know, where you, you feel like you should know everything. It's just the industry's way to move towards that skills, mm. uh, you know, new way of working, but we don't know exactly how to do that. To be honest, like I, I read and I understand the concept, but I haven't seen any proof of work. I haven't seen any any organization implementing this idea of, okay, we, we're just looking at people, we, we see what skills they have, and we we uh, grab them and put them in projects depending on what, on what we need. We don't look at jobs any, anymore. I haven't seen it, but I do feel like it might be a, a way to move towards that, but we don't know exactly how we can do it. But yeah, to, to go back to my first point, I think there are so many skills that actually will help us no matter where we go uh, as LNDs or, or in, in other professions. Yeah, I think Lavinia as well, that brings us nicely to something I wanted to ask you about, which you included in one of the recent offbeat newsletters, and that is this more wide ranging view of curation. This idea that L&D isn't just responsible for bringing together resources, but also people and opportunities in the business, right? So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that and then we can bring in Ross and Nelson for their thoughts. Yeah, of course. So uh, I've been curating first content for a while now, and I think content curation has actually been uh, with us for a while. But I also started thinking about curation from a, a networking point of view, right? As, as an L&D, you are connected to so many people in the organization and you get the chance to, to know them, to understand their strengths, the projects they work with, their knowledge. And you can actually leverage that to uh, facilitate social learning, right? What I've seen done in communities, Ana Maria is here and it's doing this amazingly, just 
tagging people and saying, oh, you have this question. I know someone that could help you. And we can do that inside our organizations. So that's one, curating people, like I, I, I say it. And then you have to think about careers, right? Curating uh, for now roles for, for different people. If we're connected to our recruitment counterparts, for example, and we understand very, very well what they're looking for, at the same time, we have all kinds of programs where we meet people and we know uh, you know, the skills they have and what they would like to do next in their jobs. So we can we can just go ahead and and tell them, look, there's this opportunity. Would you be interested in um, in it? And this can be you know personalized, very personalized, or it can be at scale, right? Even having a newsletter where you send over different roles for people to to um, yeah just see and and understand if uh, it would match them. So uh, these three, you know, curating content, curating people, and curating opportunities, I, I think it, it can be the future of L&D. Yeah, I suppose it's, um, you don't always need to bring in a skill or even build a skill. You can just borrow it from someone else in the business. Um, Ross and Nelson, do you have any sort of thoughts on what Lavinia just said there? Um, yes, yeah, so I think about curation in general, and it's an interesting one. Like Lavinia said, I think the whole world is curation nowadays right we've got like the biggest access to information libraries ever um it's really interesting for me because when i think about it specific in an lnd context and i just played devil's advocate here is that what i'm finding with so organizations that i've kind of worked with in the past and organizations that i, I speak to today is that sometimes there is a over-reliance on curation within systems within people curating stuff and less around the quality of the curation, the actual how is this curation solving a problem? And I think some of that, right, has come through the, you know, the internet age with playlists from YouTube and Spotify and all these kind of places. It's really simple to go, oh, okay, I want this subject. And, you know, the tool will just go, here's a bunch of content. But is that content actually going to help you move the needle or solve the problem? Who is verifying that content? What's the quality of that content? And I see this, you know, quite a lot within learning tech spaces and content libraries as well where i think we've all had the kind of same issue before where x amount of companies will say i've got this content library with a hundred thousand pieces of content it's going to rock your world and it's going to be amazing and, and do all this stuff and it's going to build all these creative pathways for you but then when you dig deeper underneath that you know how how good is that content what is the quality of that content you know that you are actually getting and what is the quality of that content that is being curated into those pathways so when people in the organization are saying you know i want help with emotional intelligence is probably a good example of that and how do we make sure people are being taught the right habits the right behaviors and the systems that you want to put in place as an organization sometimes curation doesn't always feel that at a grand level because there needs to be a human element of and again, this is where context is king, right? Saying earlier on, when you're in your organization, you're looking at the content that's being curated. From an L&D perspective, especially when I think about my world, I need to know that's the right content for the people in my business who are working on what we're working on as an organization in terms of strategy, in terms of our values, in terms of the way we behave. And that always doesn't get filled. So I think sometimes there is curation is great, but it can be chaotic. And it can be like, actually, how do you unpack that and actually say, how do we do this right? So we're giving people the right stuff 
not just more stuff because fundamentally then you're just becoming a search engine which just putting in loads of stuff and how many times do we do that classic thing where any of us are ill we go to google we doom scroll google gives us the ultimate curation playlist of you're gonna die you're gonna die oh guess what this will happen then you're gonna die so there's always like stuff like that where it, it doesn't help anyone so there, i think there is i love curation but i think there's also an asterisk on you know curate with care so actually look at how does that affect because what you don't want to do at the end of the year you go speak to your senior team and like cool we've given you x amount of investment you're talking about all of this stuff with you know curation and digital technology what we love how has that impacted the performance of our organization and actually how can you tell us as the operator in the L&D world has that content raised the level of the skills and actually the capability that people have today and I think most of the time with some of the stuff that's out there I think it's a no because it's not curated to the right level with care in the organization so yeah I'm playing devil's advocate right but it's like there is there is that bit with curation um but doing it with care as I say and I think the other element just to continue on the kind of skills bit which was kind of came into my head when we were talking about it um is that I think we've all seen those job specs where you know it's like 400 skills are on there and you need 15 years experience and you know you've got to do all this stuff with god knows what technology and it's completely not feasible and i think like lavinia said most of the time companies are trying to find a catch-all of you know superstars who can do all that stuff and i can tell you i'm ahead of nd now i've been doing this 15 years there is no way in hell i've even got half of those skills that they're asking for on most of those things so um yeah again it is one of those bits where you know pick your five top bits you know get really good at them and you just make that your kind of brand as nelson says don't be trying to solve everything for the world pretty much but yeah curate with care and um yeah like i say context on the skills piece that, and kind of historically l d have been a bit of a production facility right and and not just historically i mean even to mm. this day um how l d have demonstrated value is from how much they produce right so i would definitely demonstrate my value by saying, look, we created 100 training programs mm. this year, look how great we are. And so it's been very output focused. And that's come at the cost of um, time to address the business problem, right? So in terms of priorities, they've prioritized creating a larger volume of training programs and content at the risk of actually the problem was three months ago, great we have yeah. the most perfect training program in the world but that problem has already done the damage it, it needed to do uh to the business whereas that can't go on right and the business is aware of this and that's what the pressure is uh, and now the c-suite are essentially asking uh we have these business challenges how can this LD function um help us solve this business challenge and when you're having that conversation the time to solve the problem and as a result, the relevance to the moment of need is far more of a priority than the volume of content you're creating. And when the time to solving the business challenge is more of a priority, curation is key, right? And, and you know, we've all familiar with the age old saying of content is king, but actually curation is queen and it's very much her reign right now. Um, and because in a world of content abundance, um, the problem isn't content anymore. The problem isn't that you didn't create content. It's discovery of content at the right moment of need is the biggest challenge. And so the question is, how are L&D going to help solve that problem? 
And one of the ways they do that is through curation. And absolutely, like Ross said, uh, it is curation with care. Um, but if you're setting the right guidelines and the right framework and you're leveraging your community, and, and an important thing to point out here, when we're saying curation, it isn't about L&D being the owner of curation and L&D decides what's right for every single person in the, in the company. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying here is to set the guidelines and the tech infrastructure and to enable curation to happen at scale within the organization because if i'm a part of the marketing team and other marketeers are filtering out and sharing things that are relevant that is a form of curation because rather than looking at the world of the internet they are essentially acting as curators to, to kind of bring to the top the things that are most relevant to me in the context of my organization and team so lnd are essentially enabling curation rather than being the curators all the time within the organization. Yeah, exactly. L&D can be the filter. That's the, the skill of curation rather than passing on that process to someone else, the end user. Uh, they can really alleviate that pain point. Um, we've got a few questions coming through the chat. So Anna Maria, would you be willing to come up and sort of ask your question around future skills? Yes, can you hear me? I can hear you fine, yeah. Oh, hi, sorry. I'm having lunch looking at you guys. So I'm going to spare you that side. <laughs> uh, first of all, Ross and Lavinia, really, really awesome to hear you guys talk about uh, skills. It's always a delight. And um, my question relates to the fact that there's always going to be a future skill, right? No matter where we are and when we, in which times we live, there's always going to be something new that we have to get better at and improve. And I wonder if you were able to recognize a um, battery of skills that should help us get better at developing skills. So what are like those really base things that uh, us as L&D, but also especially our teams, our colleagues, the people we work for and serve, um, can develop in order to have their, their uh, an easier life down the line as they go uh, learning and developing and improving constantly. Yeah, uh, who wants to, to take that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love that question. And uh, Ana Maria probably already knows what's in my mind, but uh, I think it's a, it's a combination of skills, behaviors, mindsets that we, we should work towards. It's not only skills in, in my mind. And I think it's all about learning how to learn. Uh, like that, I, I feel like that's the most important thing we can help our, our people, our colleagues do and help ourselves with because uh, the shelf life of skills is also, um, yeah, is lower and lower and yeah, change is here, and I think we should be able to help, like, nurture curiosity, for example. How do you nurture curiosity? I don't have an answer to that, but that's something I think we should be doing. Nurturing curiosity, nurturing self-awareness, that's also really big. Um, what else? Nurturing social learning as well, because social learning can also help with inspiration and boosting curiosity. Like everything that's about learning how to learn, um, it, it will be big in, in the following years. And I think it's the best way to uh, help people always, always be, uh, you know, 
on the market kind of like always be there no matter if the job is becomes obsolete because that's been happening and it will probably be happening in the future as well but as long as they they know how to you know change mindsets how to how to shift through through the waves i think um yeah it will benefit them perfect yeah and i would um i just say on top of that so i haven't got the answers to what all the skills you need to hone today because obviously all of you are in different situations and different moments in your career and different organizations i think as levania said look there's some core stuff and obviously these things are, are personal to me in terms of what kind of i'd say help me get ahead in my career in lnd um i know emotional intelligence is like super popular now but it's always existed right we're humans we've got emotions we've always had emotions so understanding that in ourselves understanding that in our organization and um you know for ourselves and for our teams and how that can affect performance i think it's still very underrated how emotions in the workplace affect performance especially i'm talking from a, a british perspective here where we've kind of always been told leave your emotions outside of work and you, you can't do that you know we're not robots we're emotional creatures so um there's something to be said there and i think look again this is again coming from a, a bias view for me i i talk a lot about digital fitness with my team um so digital fitness basically meaning how do you become tech savvy not a tech expert but how are you tech savvy in a different range of tools and have an understanding of tech because you know we live in a digital world i'm not saying it's the matrix but we do definitely live in a digital world where you know we need to keep up in pace in terms of you know different tools different methodologies that are coming in and the best thing to do is just keep your ear to the ground in those pieces like in the hr tech world and the lnd tech world what are the things that are really going to help you kind of amplify and scale what you do and 10x it and i think in some bits of my career i have been able to get ahead in the LD world because I've taken that time to be tech savvy and understand, okay, how does this integrate with this bit of tech? How do I build a learning tech stack? And that's played well in the later years because obviously we've now come into this digital space. I think consistently having that digital fitness piece because if you look at 10 years from now, you know, we're already talking about VR and AR. I'm, you know, a lot of us are playing around with artificial intelligence on our LD side. So there's components there where if you can get ahead of that game and you can start to look at, I don't need this right now, but how could this benefit me in my career? And I think the final thing I would leave you with is that, and I talked to a lot of organizations about this, and it's um, it, it's not foolproof. I can't tell you the skills that you're going to need for the, the future skills because they're always changing. But what I challenge my team with and people around me is um, this concept I kind of call the, the three E's, which I've probably stolen from some company years and years ago so if anyone's from that company i apologize um so the three e's are, are basically you know look at your skill set every quarter or every half year and basically say what are the skills that are expiring in my field of work today so what are the behaviors the mindsets like the veneer says what are those things that no longer serve you well that may be holding you back from advancing what are the skills that are evolving? So those are things that you might have base level knowledge now. So you might be an instructional designer who wants to get better at communicating and influencing with stakeholders. You take that skill, you 10x that because you know you're going to need more of that in the future. And then look at what's emerging. So the piece that we're talking about with future skills, no one can give you that silver bullet of research of what's going to happen. We all have our own ideas. We see how tech is taking us. But then look at the emerging skills and say, what are those pieces that I see people talking about that look like they're going to be on the horizon in the next two to three years? 
And how can I potentially get ahead of that game, even just by 10% and say, how can I invest in that now? So how can I understand how some of that tech works now before it might blow up in two years time? And then you become a bit of a, an SME in that film. So like I say, I haven't got any bulletproof silver bullet solutions, but I think that if you look at those three E's and take that structure and apply it to your own career and share it with other people for their careers, I think it can be quite helpful in terms of a framework to actually figure out what those skills that you particularly need uh, are going to be. Nelson, something Ross said there, maybe think about whether a skill that LD needs is to be able to like cast a wider net in terms of research. Like if you only take inspiration from people in the same field, then you'll only end up doing the same things. But if you can sort of cast a wider net, take inspiration from different industries, people in different roles, actually, you might, like Ross said, there, be able to prepare yourself to get ahead of trends, ahead of the curve, be the first to do something. Do you think there's any truth in that? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't even think this is just um, isolated to LD. Um, I think, again, going back to the static job functions and moving towards a more skills-based approach, um, we're going to see a lot more of this kind of blended approach or, you know, it used to be called T-shaped skills. Now we're looking at M-shaped skills where you're getting a, a breadth of skills where you specialize in, in particular areas. And that will become true for all of us, regardless of what role we're doing. Um, and it helps when you're getting an exposure to different disciplines and different functions it gives you a new perspective on your primary discipline right and and i think i can speak to the fact that when we came into the lnd space starting how now none of us in the team had any lnd experience whatsoever but what we were able to do was approach lnd conversations with the experience we did have which was in uh, entrepreneurship in building te uh, technology in building products and actually what we realized was a lot of the problems we were seeing there are things we could borrow from other disciplines we were familiar with and adapt for L&D and which really helped, right? And, and, you know, concepts that we're talking about here in terms of data, marketing, agile, uh, are not L&D specific skills, right? So there are skills that you could borrow from other disciplines and apply. So I think there's, there's definitely truth to that. Um, and just kind of going back to what skills on the topic, I mean, the one skill we can be absolutely certain that we all need to have um, today and tomorrow is the capability to be able to learn at the rate at which the world is changing at the very least. Um, and I'd be missing an opportunity if I didn't plug my book here. So no, that's exactly what I've written about uh, at, with learning at speed. But it's essentially that. That is the core capability that every individual and organization needs to be able to build. That was a movie lasted 39 minutes before. <laughs> so I think that's more than fair. Um, that's more than fair. Uh, good sort of follow-up question. At smooth, you're getting the smooth in the chat there, Nelson. And some love for the three E's as well, Ross, actually, to be uh, to be fair on that. Um, we've got a question from Penny as well, sort of following on from uh, from what you guys just said there. Penny, if you wanted to, to come on and ask that. Yeah. Hi, guys. Thank you for actually having this. It's perfectly timed. Um, it also justifies the rebel nature I have within my own organization about disrupting things and getting people to look at things differently. So thank you for the validation. <laughs> um, but my question was, you know, we were talking around skills and looking, and I was really pleased to hear people saying about looking at other teams and learning from those teams and hiring for skills. And I'm very much in the park of higher skills, the, the core sort of ones that you're going to be using that you definitely know are going to be needed day to day versus and then high potential because some things you can learn and I want someone who's coachable who can learn stuff on the job and that's great 
So where I am now, I'm very lucky and I took on the opportunity to upskill myself and my career where we, I actually created the team which was learning and enablement, not L&D and not sales enablement. And the one thing I wanted to throw out was what are your thoughts in terms of the sales enablement piece and function? Because actually that's become a hot topic. You know, everyone wants sales enablement. I go, well, why does sales get to own enablement, right? That word belongs to everybody and enablement is an action. So hence why I kind of went, well, well let's do learning and enablement. So I'm very fortunate because I get to work, run sales enablements, if you like, in the traditional sense, plus the L&D, because again, looking at that skills hub, or I provide services to everybody from learning and enabling them and empowering them to do their job. So just curious around that, because I think that sales enablement traditionally is very collaborative. It is about sourcing the skills, like marketing come in and do something around, this is our messaging and positioning. I don't write that. That's their their role. They're the experts. So I've I've honed that skill to be more sort of tribal knowledge and social sourcing. Um, and I then I put my L&D lens on to help them to understand why do we need to do this? What's the problem we're solving as opposed to being very reactive, which is quite traditional in that sales space. So, yeah, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there and see if anyone's actually looked to them in terms of skills or seeing about merging them. Because I think there's a lot of cross-pollination and things we can learn from each other. Uh, just a quick one on this, Penny. I think it's a great observation and, and a great point. And it's something we've um, stood out to us because with a lot of the high growth companies that we work with often the the buying process for our platform is led by a revenue leader um and and not by an only person and we I remember in the early days you we were like how come uh, and and it was essentially the growth was being driven by the revenue they had a lot more clout uh, in in the organization but they were coming at it from an enablement perspective and the really, the thing that really stood out for us from sales enablement and we asked the same question of but why is lnd not owning this piece as well right well, why is it being carved out and it was what we saw was the narrative of sales enablement was much more performance focused than lnd was right? Because the sales enablement team was really about closing more deals, right? It was about driving revenue um, versus L&D's narrative and positioning within the organization for so long hadn't been around performance. And that's the kind of only hypothesis we've come up with is to think that that's why they've separated it out. And a lot of organizations we work with, sales enablement is a completely different beast, which is owned by a completely different leader. Uh, and often L&D have nothing to do with it. So I think good job in bringing enablement um, under L&D because I think there's a lot of um, synergy um, that can come from that. But yeah, I think it's the performance focus that's often kept it quite separate. Ross Lavinia, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. I actually have a question <laughs> uh, uh, for Penny. Um, have you seen any different different difference in perspective uh, about L&D because you merged the, these two, like sales enablement and, and L&D? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, but in my previous organization I was in, I was just in sales enablement. However, um, I kept bringing my L&D hat to the table and kept challenging back going, no, 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 I don't want to do something for the sake of doing something. And if you're going to do training, don't say your training is... I'm just going to talk at you for an hour and, you know, good luck, read the deck, off you go. Um, it was like, well, what's the follow-up? 
where how have they applied that it's, and that's where the enablement because i'm enabling someone to do something right and to apply something to be successful in whatever that problem is we're solving so where i am now it's that it's that constant sort of challenge of i think bringing together so obviously tech in the sales space is very heavy so i've naturally become quite tech savvy i guess i don't know how because i'm i'm a people person but somehow i've geeked out on that but they are starting to learn it, but it does take a transition where I, I constantly have to go, well, hang on, why are we doing this? What's the follow-up? Are we just putting, are we doing whack-a-mole or is there a bigger problem that actually if we sort this out, then this will go away? Um, and being that person who's facilitating that conversation all the time, which I think is a very L&D thing. And I think also trying to get people to walk away from not focusing on the number the number to me is a result I can use for as a metrics for success, but sometimes you, there is no number. Making someone more confident to be able to pitch, yes, indirectly, there'll be a number along the way. And I think that's where L&D and sales enable are slightly different because you have direct and indirect measurements. So it can be a little harder. And I think that there's this concept that L&D is just the fluffy stuff, right? It's just, oh, yeah, I'm going to learn how to, I don't know, time management. And I'm like, well, what are you applying it anywhere? So it's, again, that application piece where, and they, they're getting there, but it's it, it's a long, and I've, don't, don't get me wrong, I've had some massive debates with people because traditionally sales enablement sits under operations, like you were saying, mm -hmm. Nelson. Mm -hmm. So I'm going, well, it doesn't need to. It doesn't matter well, where it sits on the org chart. What matters is the output and what the successes of those output is. So it is a real massive cultural shift. But luckily, I'm in a small organization that this whole function is new. Mm -hmm. I think it'd be mm -hmm. much harder in a big organization where you've got those established functions. But I recommend everyone to work together, L&D and sales enablement, because you can learn so much from each other. Like it's, Thank you. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you, Benny. I suppose it's uh, like we were saying earlier, you know, sales, sales enablement is easy to just throw out as kind of a buzzword, but what Penny alluded to there is actually there's problems to be solved, um, figuring out the impact you want to have rather than just going in with that mindset, I want to enable X, Y, and Z team. It's actually like, what metric do I want to drive? And then how do I work backwards from there and, and enable people in that sort of true sense of the word? Um, we've got another question coming from Alex. Did you want to come on and ask it, Alex, or I'm happy to read it out for you if not? Uh, sure, sure, I can. Um, it, it was sort of semi-linked to some of the sales enablement pieces because of between different roles. Of sometimes I'm focused on internal and sort of a HR function. Other times it's more marketing sales version of training. So it's you know we create ridiculously complex software or systems. We have to teach new clients. So L and D ends up being a really important part of the business because. Pretty much every new client has to go through their journey, you know, time to competency, all that fun stuff. Um, and I think just while we're talking about key skills for, for LD in the future, where where do you think the skills differ between sort of more of an internal and upskilling your own workforce versus that kind of a salesy version of training where you're creating courses and delivering them to clients in a much more direct information exchange for money type approach. That's my question. But 
Ross Lavinia? Yeah, so I, I can definitely share some thoughts here. Um, I think, look, there is definitely kind of cross-pollination of skills for sure. So when you think about, I mean, I'm one of these people that is the opinion of we're all kind of doing sales and marketing in some way in our day-to-day -day anyway, you know, that it is part of the, the, the job. Um, although people want to shoot me for it sometimes, it is the it is part of that where to get people to engage with it and to and to build that. So I mean, there's definitely, and I see this in my world where I am in the kind of tech space where you've got pieces like um, you know storytelling. As a sales individual, you're going to be building all of this kind of content to tell stories. If that's a visual experience, if that's an audio experience, and you're doing that in the L and D space, well. You know, and they might call it something different. They might, I don't know, communication and presentation or whatever stuff people call it nowadays. But there's elements there of kind of storytelling and saying, you know, how do we really bring to life the narrative of this product to our clients? And that is a, a shared skill, whatever you want to call it, that can go between those worlds most certainly. And even again, you know, back to the marketing piece, you know, product marketing and such, you know, how can you, uh, from both sides, right? Because even uh, my teams, the way I kind of, prep them around is that they know um not to the systems thinking level which Lavinia was talking about but they definitely know you know how do different systems integrate and what is the kind of ethos of a uh, learning ecosystem and much like you know when I speak to and I'm sure that most of you as ND people you know I get a long line of calendar the whole year of sales people coming to talk to me about different tools and such and that and going through the the same portion of you know, do you know X, Y, and Z and all of this kind of stuff? And unfortunately for some of them, they get caught out by me because I know more than they expect me to know when they shut through the door. Um, but there, there's definitely there's definitely shared skills and shared pieces. But I mean, again, going back to I think context is king there. Once again, it's like, what what is the context of what you're doing in your organization? And obviously the products that those um, external clients, as you said, or, or sales teams are, are doing and what what can they learn from you know other teams as well? And there's Nelson spoke about before with the T-shaped skills, although I haven't heard of this N-shaped skill, so I'm very curious about what that is. But with um, T-shaped skills, you know, how can you borrow and learn stuff from other departments and how can you fuse that into your world? Because I think some of the best lessons I've had on um, storytelling and presentations is from two worlds. One is from google with working with consultants at google and another is working with consultants at deloitte and mckinsey and other areas who have very different ways of doing stuff but they're, they're still very much sales trying to sell me stuff and they're trying to consult with me on bits and actually using that in my own world and using that for teams in my world as well to say how can we share those skills because um you know i think as we you know we just discussed with penny those worlds aren't really that far apart but again my ultimate message would be context is king you need to kind of analyze you know what works for those worlds that you're in now because not everything is going to align but there's probably two or three things that you can take and say hey you know what that would really help the performance side of our team or our organization if we could scale this across all of our teams so yeah just um a few thoughts yeah, and the only thing I want to um, add to what Ross just said is also related to context and it's what's your goal? Like my guess is that your goal might be a bit different with external clients. The, the relationship might be a bit more transactional maybe than with your own employees where apart from performance, we do have a role in retaining them as well. We do have a, a role in helping them, you know, building the culture together with them in, in 
I don't know, uh, helping them acquire behaviors, different habits. So uh, at least in my understanding, I haven't been in a, such a position, but looking from outward, I would say that the goal might, might also be important in what, what kind of skills uh, you, you will need. And, and kind of to add to that, a lot of our customers that we work with use it um, are L&D functions that look after both internal and external um, learning and, and training. Um, and I don't actually see a fundamental difference in the skills, right? Apart from the fact that one's an internal customer and the other one's an external customer, uh, but they're both customers. And I think they're, they're fundamental things that are true in both cases, for example, being problem and outcome focused, right, is the external uh, customer might have a different problem, uh, internal customer might have a different problem, but being focused around building your strategy and your learning experiences to solve the problem are consistent. And uh, kind of building on that, and I guess on the topic of future skills, I think this is where L&D can definitely benefit from acquiring more product skills, more product manager type skills, um, being able to, for example, A-B test before you scale something out, um, and which is true, again, for internal and external customer. Um, if you put a learning resource to your external customer, is it actually helping drive adoption for your tool? Um, are they using it in the right way? Are they seeing the success metrics? If not, try something else, experiment with it. And that kind of iterative loop is true both for internal and external. Um, tracking data, again, is true for both internal and external. Really trying to do better customer discovery to understand the problem, both for internal uh, and external. So I think uh, the cross-functional collaboration with an external customer, you might be collaborating with your product teams because maybe you're getting feedback around how that software is being used and you're feeding that back to your product team to improve the product versus internally you might be collaborating more with the wider HR function and, and other internal comms teams. Um, so I think a lot of it is true uh, both for internal and external customers. Yeah, I think we're coming sort of towards the end now, but maybe one final skill that's been on list in the past, is on list now, will be on list in the future is this idea of becoming a performance consultant, like really nailing what the problem is you're trying to solve, but um, maybe taking it to another level and thinking about the solutions that you have to give to that. And I think that sort of backs up what you just said there, Nelson, to have more skills like a product marketer, you can maybe offer more solutions. So maybe, Ross, I know you're... Um, quite like keen on this topic and why it maybe isn't applied that well but becoming a performance consultant how can people do that a bit better as a as a future yeah, skill yeah yeah you're getting me going gary in the last four minutes honestly you're ready for me to rock and roll out here um yeah look i think i'll say up front look this is performance consulting is not for everyone okay it's not something where what i'm saying is that everyone in lnd needs to become a performance consultant and they need to be able to do um, you know, multiple different things. It's again, it's going back to what we said earlier. I'm like a broken record here, but context is king in terms of your career, where you are and what you want to do and your organization. You have to really take into account, you know, are you in a scale up, a startup, a large corporate, as we've already spoken about, what are the arenas you're playing in for this to work? But look, for me, performance consultancy is, is pretty much the stuff we kind of should be doing anyway. And funny enough, it's kind of all an amalgamation of bits that we've spoken about from sales, from marketing, from product, as Nelson's just mentioned there, is actually looking at how can we 
have that more solutioneering mindset and less of what I like to call the McDonald's drive-through mindset, where people come and order a Big Mac and fries from us and we just say, here's a bunch of stuff that you can have. And actually, how do we actually get to that more conversational piece? And then what Lavinia said of the transactional piece um, and just really work with people to break down problems. Because as I said before, I've been doing this 15, 16 years and I find, you know, eight to nine times out of 10, when people come to me and say, I've got an LND problem, it's not an LND problem most of the time. It's never an LND problem. It's usually some deep cultural piece or real um, you know, business shift, which LND can play a part in and it can help him. Now, food performance consultancy, which is if you want to put it kind of a, a moniker on it, it's basically just being able to ask the right questions and better questions. It's been able to have a conversation with someone and say, okay, let's understand how do I, you know, how do I understand what are the problems you're trying to solve today? What are the blockers? What are the mindsets? What are the skill shortages that exist today? You know, it's, it's having that conversation. That's what performance consulting is all around. It's actually being a consultant. It's not getting an email from a line manager who says, do this in six weeks time, send it to me now. And then my team will have this and we'll tick the training box for the year. It is understanding what are their pressure points? What are the things that is stopping them from performing? And the whole kind of point of our conversation today has been around how do we get to that performance-led value? So it's really working with these people in that consultant perspective and just playing that role of asking questions. And um, it's a really good skill to learn to be able to sit there and ask the right questions, You know, get deep if you need to, and just really figure out, you know, is this something that you can support from an LND sphere or is this something that is bigger? And as Nelson quite rightly said earlier on, look, LND is not going to solve everything and it's not there to solve everything. I think there is a bit of a moniker in organizations where it's like most problems, it's like go to LND, we'll just, we'll train the hell out of people. And once we train them, they'll be fine. And then we can go and do all this stuff. But um, no, that's not it. But that, that's very, very top line. But performance consultant is essence is just have conversations with people and get data. So conversations and data are going to be your best friend in um, in doing this stuff. But as I say, it's it's not for everyone. I'm not saying everyone do it, but it's a great opportunity to really shift the needle in your organization and be less transactional and be more conversational and um, have an output of value. I mean, just to add a quick one to that is whether you move to performance consulting or not, I think the general theme we can all take away with, which is to love the problem, not the solution. Um, and the solution here is you're not falling in love with your training program, your courses, your platform, any of that ilk. What you should be falling in love with is the problem you're trying to solve. And, and in essence, the more deeper you go into that, the more you would probably end up uh, moving towards performance consulting anyway. Uh, but Lavinia, any final thoughts on that? Ross said it perfectly. Uh, I'm going to stop here. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, that brings us pretty much to bang on time. So, um, Ross and Lavinia, thanks again for joining us. Um, thanks everyone who joined us today for like coming on to ask your questions, leaving your great insights in the chat. Um, yeah, a great, a great pleasure for all of us. Uh, if you'd like to join us for the next episode, it will be in two weeks at the same time. We're going to be joined by co-founder of People Collective, Matt Bradburn. We're going to be talking about something we kind of touched on today, but that's why L&D keeps trying to solve the wrong problems and how we can find the right problems to solve and uh, really sort of pick that apart. So, yeah, thanks, everyone. And hopefully see you again in a couple of weeks.